Welcome to the teacher and the preacher. This program is all about the importance of coming to understand that the Christian community and the Jewish community have more in common than we have been led to believe. Rather than seeing each other as against each other, we need to come to a point of seeing that the statement that our country is a Judeo-Christian nation is much more than just a mere statement, but truly reflects the reality of our nation as it was and should remain. Every week there will be an interesting dialogue about the issues that have divided Jews and Christians and how we can move in bridging the gaps and see that by talking about the issues, we can better move in the direction of having more unity. Unity that will heal and help bring together a nation that is under attack by the forces of atheism, secularism, and a breakdown of family values. Join us now for a discussion between the teacher and the preacher. Welcome to The Teacher and the Preacher. I'm the teacher, Harold Berman. And I'm the preacher, Dave McGuerra. And we welcome you to our program this week. And thank you for your listenership. Just before we jump into a good conversation, Harold, why don't we take just a moment and say hello to our new listeners in the Seattle area. And uh, why don't you tell them a little bit more about The Teacher and the Preacher? Yeah, so we are thrilled now to be in Seattle. Uh, just really, it's it's great to be in Seattle. For our new listeners in Seattle, big shout out. And this is what the teacher and preacher is. We are actually unlike anything else on Christian radio, and I think on, on radio in general. We are an Orthodox Jew in Israel, me, and an evangelical pastor in Idaho, Dave, and where else do you hear an Orthodox Jew in Israel and an evangelical pastor in the States talking to each other about the Bible, about Israel, about things we have in common, about things where we differ? And the whole emphasis is on dialogue, not debate. It, this is not about a disputation. You can find that in other places. This is about, as Jews and Christians, it's been 2,000 years. It's time for us to talk to each other and to learn from each other, and that's what the show is about. And we love that. We love that. We've been on this fall will be 11 years, Harold. Wow. Hard to believe. Wow. Hard to believe. Yeah. So we invite you to, uh, to check us out a little bit further on our, our, our website, uh, teacherinthepreacher.com. You'll get a chance to see a, a David and Goliath uh, scenario there. I'll let you see who's who. But you can also catch our archive <laughs> programs and a lot of good topics to, to, to tune into. So we invite you to do that. And you can always reach out to Harold and I on uh, just email us at uh, theteacherandthepreacher at gmail.com. So um, our topic today, Harold, is I think one that's worth uh, our consideration. It's actually out of uh, a book of the Bible, the book of Numbers, chapter 16, and it has to do with this guy by the name of Korah or Korach and the issue that arose in a relationship with Moses that's in the category of rebellion. Now it's been, I can't remember how long ago or if we've ever really taken any time to talk about this particular story or this particular subject uh, of rebellion, this uh, effort of insurrection or revolt, uh, this uprising that was being led. So why don't you map this thing out for us? Yeah, so this is, in many ways, it's an undertold story. I think most people, they know about the episode with the golden calf. 
about Moses throwing the tablets down. They know about uh, the children of Israel crying for water, saying they have nothing to eat in the desert, or the spies going in and saying, hey, we can't go into the land. This is not so much told very much or not studied as much. And it's also, I think, the absolute, without a doubt, biggest challenge to Moses' leadership in the entire Torah. You know, when the people complain about food, okay, or lack thereof, or water, they're okay, they're complaining. Uh, the uh, sin of the golden calf, that's a rebellion against God. This here is basically trying to take Moses down. And that, at least to my knowledge, doesn't happen anywhere else. So getting into the story, we have Korak, and we'll get back to who he is, because who he is is very interesting, and I think key to the story. Korak comes along, this is Numbers chapter 16, and uh, basically he comes to Moses and to Aaron, and not only him, but it says, and I'll just read from, from the Bible, it says, They arose before Moses, 250 people from the children of Israel, princes of the congregation, the distinguished among them, men of renown. So these are not just rank and file people going to Moses and challenging them. These are like the elite that are saying, hey, your, your days are done. And Korak basically, he comes up with a very devious argument, and he says, again, I'll quote, he says, it is to Moses, he says, it is too much for you. In other words, you've gone too far. He says, as the entire congregation, all of them are holy, and the Lord is among them. Why do you elevate yourselves over the assembly of the Lord? So we've got here him, it's basically like a postmodern argument. He's saying, you know, everything's relative. Like, who's to say who's holy and who's not? How, who are you, Moses, to say that you should be the leader, that you should be holy? Hey, we're all holy, when in fact, it's God who, who chose Moses. So that's, that's the start of this. And then Moses tries to reason with them. Well, he tries to reason with, with some of them. He, he tries to talk to them, and they don't want to talk to them. And to the others, to the followers of Korach, uh, he says, hey, take your fire pans, put fire in them, uh, put incense in them, and we'll bring them before God tomorrow. And we'll see, you know, we'll see which one God cho chooses. And of course, then they, they, they come in the morning and they, this plays out. And this is, again, there's no precedent for this anywhere else. Uh, basically, uh, Moses says, you know, if these people, Korak and his followers, die like regular people, then, hey, God didn't send me. But if you see something miraculous, and it's kind of like, hint, hint, if you see something miraculous, like the ground should just swallow them up, you know, then you know yeah. God sends me. And then for lo instance, and behold, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, for instance, and lo and behold, uh, the, the, the earth just magically, oh, not magically, uh, just opens up and... Korak and his followers, poof, they're, they're swallowed up by the earth, and they're gone, and they're done, and, and uh, that's the end of the challenge to Moses' leadership right there. So, but there, th that's, that's the basic story, but now we can go back and unpack it. Yeah, this is really um, an interesting and fascinating story because it really underscores that there are consequences when you endeavor yeah. to um, undermine or usurp the authority of God— and those who he has chosen to be leaders of his people. And I think that what is true from the days of the Bible is still absolutely true for the Bible times in which we find ourselves living now. Because as you and I uh, say often, we are living in Bible times. 
we are still seeing Absolutely. the fulfillment of God's word. And the same way that God felt about rebellion against him, against uh, the work that God is doing, uh, against the will of God, the plans of God, uh, there's still consequences for that. Now, I really appreciated what, what you took the time to, to really underscore uh, as you were reading this, and that is that, you know, this guy Korah is, is not just a slouchy guy. I mean, this guy carries some authority. Apparently, he's, he's one of the chief people as a part of the congregation. These, these sound like men that carried influence and authority. I mean, they're, they're the kind of guys that a guy like Moses would, would typically lend his ear to and, and listen to the input and have them share what's going on in the life of the whole congregation because Moses couldn't keep up with a couple of million people. So here's this group of carries uh, weight that comes to have this conversation, and then they, they become confrontive, or Korah becomes confrontive, and you've gone too far, and you know, who do you think you are, and who made you so holy, and what, what's wrong with the rest of us, you know, who do you think you are? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a big confrontation, isn't it? Yeah, it's a big confrontation, and there's another piece here that's between the lines as to who, who Korak actually is, and it really says a lot about the whole thing. So it says, this is uh, Numbers chapter, uh, chapter 16, verse 1, Korak, son of Yitzar, son of Kehat, son of Levi. Now, why does it go through the trouble? Why does the Torah go through the trouble of telling us Korak's lineage, because he's going to be gone in a few verses. He's going to get swallowed up. So why do we need to know? So if we reverse engineer this, we have we start with Levi, okay, from the, one of the brothers of the 12 tribes. He has Kahat. Kahat has Yitzhar, as, as the text says. Now, Kahat also has Amiram. So Yitzhar and Amiram are brothers. And who does Amiram have? Moses and Aaron. So Korak and Moses or I should say Korak is cousins to Moses and Aaron. So this is just my idea of what's what's going on here is family rivalry. Korak saying, hey, my cousins yeah. over there, they're getting all the glory. They're getting, you know, God's talking to them. Uh, God's, you know, letting them be in charge. And, and, you know, what am I? I'm just sitting here and I, I get nothing. This isn't fair. Who made them holy? I should get a piece of the pie too. And when when you look at it, that wow, this is just this is Moses's cousin. Um, th- this is a he's he's really this is like a family dispute. He, he's challenging Moses for for the the family leadership. So when it says there in the scripture that Moses actually kind of fell on his face, he and Aaron both fell on their face. I think that's that sign of humility. And and one of the things the Bible talks about in regards to Moses is he was really one of the most humble men that ever walked the face of the earth, right? Yeah, and you see that here. They fall on their face. And by the way, it's a challenge to both both Moses and Aaron. So you have a challenge to the leadership. And because Korak, and he's he's from the tribe of Levi, uh, it's also a challenge to Aaron, to the priesthood. So you have, have this double challenge. But yeah, they fall on their face. 
Uh, they're totally humble. And another way in which Moses shows his humility, uh, it mentions, if, uh, there's three people it mentions also that aren't uh, the regular followers of Korach, that aren't from the tribe of Levi, that they're actually from the tribes of, of Reuben. So there's no challenge there to the priesthood. And they're, they're just kind of along for the ride uh, in terms of challenging Moses. To them, he doesn't say, you know, go get your fire pans with the incense in the morning, because that's something the priests do. To, to, to the ones from the tribe of Reuben, he says, hey, let's talk this out. Come come to me and we'll talk through it, which is also a sign of humility. You know, like, hey, I want to hear what you have to say. What is your complaint here? But the yeah. ones from the tribe of Reuben, uh, they don't do that. They basically say, no, we're not going to come. We're not going to talk to you. And then they use astounding language. They say, you, first of all, God is nowhere in the picture in what they talk about. It's all you, Moses, brought us out of a land uh, flowing with milk and honey. In other words, brought us out of Egypt, a land flowing with milk and honey. You brought us to die in this wilderness, and who are you to do this? So it's at that point that Moses is like, okay, <laughs> you know, you asked for it. Uh, we'll bring God into the picture. Yeah. But but he shows his humility first by saying, hey, let you know, tell me tell me what your issue is. Let, let's talk about this. This is a serious accusation. This is a very serious uh, issue because when you talk about rebellion, when you talk about this effort on Korah's part, the characteristics include pride, selfishness, jealousy, lust for power, uh, disregard for God's will, and and it's only Korah looking at Moses as just a man, not as, as a man of God or God's instrument chosen for this particular time. And so it, it becomes a very testy and very passionate-filled issue. And I think Moses endeavors to negotiate. He tries to say, okay, okay, look, let's, let's, you know, if you guys feel that strong about it, let's, let's test the waters and see if God wants to weigh in on this. And you know what? As, as you aptly put it, you know, if, if, if tomorrow, you know, people just die from uh, life ending or, you know, they've lived out the number of their years fully, um, then then great. It the whole thing is uh, I've I've been out of line. But on the other hand, if if perchance, let's just say for instance, the ground opens up and swallows you <laughs> whole and you go down to live in Sheol, um, then you know what? It just simply says that you were wrong. You you have despised the Lord. You have you have uh, sought to dishonor the Lord. I mean, it's <laughs> it's 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 filled with passion and ab about to be quite an interesting um, illustration of how God feels about people who want to rebel against Him. Yeah, and Korach and his followers, they're all making this about Moses. They're trying to basically paint Moses as, hey, you took this authority for yourself. Whereas Moses is saying, and this is the whole ground uh, splitting and swallowing them up, is, is the most dramatic example of this. Moses is saying, uh, hey, you, you know, it's, it's not about me. You know, God's the one who, who, who picked me to do this. I, I certainly didn't pick this role. Uh, you know, th this is all about God. And when the earth actually swallows them, you, you can't have a more dramatic illustration. It seems, by the way, very harsh, but... It also is is kind of necessary because they're they're basically trying to undermine the entire system. This isn't 
about even even the golden calf where as terrible as it is okay that ship can be righted you know ultimately it takes 40 years in the desert but that that ship can be righted the 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 you know the, the sin of the spies it, it can be righted but this is trying to bring the entire system down uh, which, which then cannot be righted so you you need something dramatic like this right and you know this whole time this conversation is happening if you will <laughs> God's blood starts to boil, <laughs> and yeah. uh, he, he he just wants to <laughs> he wants to just deal with this uh, probably quicker than what Moses uh, wants to. But anyway, it says, and as soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all of their goods. Okay, so they got the whole household. And so they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. That is a powerful illustration. Yeah, you can't really get much more powerful than that. (laughs) Um, And and it's as if to to make... Yeah, and as if it, as if to make the point, you know, from from God's perspective, as if to make the point, it, it's just Korak and these two hundred fifty uh, guys following him. That you know, that's the earth just uh, splits around them. Nowhere else, um, you know, everyone else is intact. Nobody else goes down. Every, you know, everybody else, everyone else is trying to get away as far as uh, you know as fast as possible. But it, it couldn't be more clear that it's like it's not, like it's no no just these guys. Right, and, and, and then, you know, it goes from swallowing them, the earth swallowing them, to, a, to kind of a barbecue, right? <laughs> because right. fire came right, out right. from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. I mean, these guys are totally out of line. Right, right, exactly. You, you've and got, they're smoked. You've, yeah, and that's also because they're the ones bringing the the you know the the fire and the incense pan, so it's almost like it, it's used against them. There's another piece here, which then is right after the story, because you know now we've taken care of, or God's taken care of, um, the challenge to Moses's leadership. But there's a challenge here to Aaron's leadership because the these 250 guys who are who are then basically burned alive, um, you know that that was a challenge to the priesthood. And uh, so, so what about Aaron? So you, you get then right following this story that God basically says, hey, I want, you know, uh, there to be, you know, basically one staff, take your staffs, one from each tribe and, you know, put them all together and uh, leave them overnight. And then in the morning, Aaron's staff is, you know, there, um, you know, another miracle, almond blossoms coming out of it. So it's it's very clear. It's like, no, Aaron's the chosen one here as far as the priesthood. So you first have him dealing, God dealing with the insurrection against Moses, but then there's also, obviously, in less dramatic fashion, but miraculous nevertheless, uh, him also saying, you know, no, 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 you're not going to mess with Aaron either. Yeah, it's blatant statement, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it couldn't be. It's it's not subtle. That, that that's for sure. So, after this takes place, then there is a, a plague that is released on a portion of the congregation. And do do you have any idea what that plague was at all? I guess I'd say, unfortunately, I mean that's that happens throughout the Torah. 
that you have, um, you know, the people complain. And, and this, this is, I mean, what precipitates that is you would think, okay, the ground swallowing Korak and his followers up would, like, people would get it, but then they, they come to Moses and they're like, you know, you have, you know, you know, look what you've done to the chosen of the Lord. And it's like, you know, wait a minute, huh? Um, and that they don't get it. So, um, you know, they, I always say, you know, some people look at the Torah and they say, oh, it's kind of harsh. I always say there's there's karma in the Torah, to you know, borrow a phrase from another spiritual tradition, because it, it's whenever the people basically go astray, whenever they're complaining, whenever they're lashing out, whenever they're challenging Moses, that's when the bad things start to happen, whenever they're rebelling against God. That's when the bad things start to happen. It's, it's not arbitrary. It's not uh, that God is being vengeful or anything. It's, it's very much that they bring this upon themselves. Yeah, you know what? It even talks about the fact that, that, that the next day, instead of really being convinced that God had vindicated Moses and Aaron, this congregation begins to once again complain and and blame Moses and and Aaron that they had killed the Lord's people. And so once again, they they, they failed to see that this this was a work of God. They're still blaming Moses for this. And 14,000, I think the Bible says 14,700 people were, yeah, were were, were impacted by this this plague and died. And it would have been very interesting, and it's probably actually in the white spot there in your Bible, where God says, Mm -hmm. is there anyone else who wants to say anything at this point? Right. (laughs) You know. But but interestingly enough, you know, you know, interestingly enough, you know, you talk about with Moses' humility. What also happens here? It's another sign of his humility. You know, he Moses at this point could say, "Hey, good for them. They had it coming to them." That's how a lot of people might react. It might be a natural reaction. Uh, you know, he's he's had plenty to deal with with uh, you know the, the, all this wandering in the desert. But that's not what happens. He immediately is to Aaron, and it's this kind of mystical thing that goes on. He says, "Take your fire pan," and he takes the fire pan, and it's almost like a reversal process of of what the the of what Korok's followers were going to do with the fire pan. And, and he says, "This will stop the plague." So, but putting aside how how exactly this all works with Aaron taking his fire pan and stopping the plague, it's this idea that. Moses, you know, he's not like, good for you, you've got this coming from you. He's like, hey, we've got to stop this plague. We've got to save these people, the very people who have just made his life miserable. Um, and there's a lesson in that, too. Yeah, so you know what? About 15,000 people ended up losing their life over this. So it's pretty serious yeah. stuff, pretty serious yeah. stuff. And I, I find in just reminiscing about this story, Harold, that you know, part of the reason that book is so thick is because God is the one who chose to lead people and oversee people by selecting men of his own choosing. He, he right. wasn't interested in holding some sort of, you know, uh, resume submission or holding a popularity contest or, you know, letting people self-appoint to a position of of, of, of this level of prophets or, or, or priests. And, and Korah's problem really probably wasn't that he was unqualified. I mean, this guy, humanly speaking, was pretty pretty capable guy uh, based on what the Bible is saying about him. But, but 
that wasn't the issue. The issue was his arrogance and being stiff-necked and self-promoting and and those kind of things that he wanted to insert himself as the leader. And I just think that, uh, ironically, God has set this humble man, Moses, over the congregation, but that's not acceptable. Uh, and it's the mindset, you know what, if I had the chance to, to be in that guy's shoes, I could do it so much better than him. And I think you right. you and I have both watched some of this in the recent elections with um, – <laughs> going on within the, the the nation of Israel because that that we had that happening how many how many people do we see in the political realm who think oh give me a shot at that I can do it so much better you know and and yeah. much of that really is arrogance driven isn't it absolutely and and I would also add here you know Korak it's a very devious argument because He's coming to Moses, and he's basically saying, this is why why he had to be put down so dramatically. He's basically saying, you know, Moses, did, uh, Moses, God didn't appoint you. You know, we're all holy. If anything, God appointed us. You know, and, and, and it's this idea of like, hey, we're looking out for everyone. We're looking for, for all the people who are holy. But you, Moses, are just in it for yourself, when in fact, and you see this in politics today, it's the exact opposite, that Korak is really in it for himself, and he's couching the argument argument in terms of, hey, I'm just for everybody, when it's Moses is the one who he's accusing of being for himself, who, <laughs> if anything, he's the last guy in the world who's for himself. Yeah, isn't that right? Well, I'll tell you, this issue of rebellion and, and disobedience, we're talking about relationship with God here, rebellion and disobedience absolutely destroys a relationship with God. And, and, and I find what's really interesting out of this story is that the the book is so full of neg- negative examples to to deter people from you know doing stupid things evil things destructive things but the descendants of korah learned their lesson took their medicine and 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 they became no less than 11 of the authors of the psalms right uh, right you see that a song of some korah of the greatest expressions yes yes and and the, and and they they learned and they walked away and they they saw how serious this sin of rebellion was and 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 you know what um, the, the the sin of uh, us rebelling against the clock is about to be committed unless we cut this thing <laughs> off. So I'm sorry. Why don't you uh, let our listeners know how they can contact us? So uh, go right to our website, www.teacherandthepreacher.com. Again, just Teacher and the Preacher, not The Teacher and the Preacher. So teacherandthepreacher.com. You can contact us through the website, and while you're there, you can stick around, listen to any of our archive broadcasts uh, on pretty much uh, any topic. We've had some great guests over the years, and you can hear all of that. You can also contact us the old-fashioned way through email, theteacherandthepreacher.com. Uh, at gmail.com and of course our facebook page the teacher and the preacher you can contact us there and if you like our page you'll get our daily fact of the day we provide you with news about israel judaism christianity that you often don't find in mainstream media i love it harold great to be with you this weekend and you and great to be with our listeners so until next week may the god of israel who never slumbers or sleeps may he watch over israel and our jewish friends And may God bless America. Amen.
The teacher and the preacher will be back next Sunday for another discussion on how Christians and Jews can come to once again proclaim that the United States is truly a Judeo-Christian nation. To contact the teacher and the preacher, email them at theteacherandthepreacher at gmail.com. That's theteacherandthepreacher at gmail.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and give you shalom.